0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. I'm Sam Maul, 11FS Managing Partner for North America. Today, we want to talk about U.S. SMBs. And I know you're asking yourself, what the hell is an SMB? Small to medium-sized businesses. And yes, we'll use that acronym all throughout this podcast. Not specifically about their fight for funding in the wake of COVID-19 this time, but their options when it comes to banking more broadly and how to design digital financial services that work for U.S. SMBs. We want to dig into the short, the medium, and the long-term implications to give you our insights into how we see this playing out over time with the pandemic in the middle. And so to do this, I'm joined by some awesome guests. First, we have Adrian Oropiza, formerly of FMBO and PayPal, and now he's the head of products at Gen 6 Ventures. How are you doing, Adrian?
1: I'm good, Sam. Thanks for having me on today. And uh, in Omaha, Nebraska right yes yes the nice it's it's kind of chilly today but yeah we are in the midwest in omaha nebraska uh for those of you that haven't been to omaha go
0: to omaha actually i've had some really good time best tiki bar i've ever been to in the u.s and adrian knows this is underground in omaha nebraska we need to do something um dude we need to do a live show when all this is over from there um adrian tell me a little bit about gen six ventures what is it what you're working on
1: Yeah, uh, Gen 6 Ventures is a kind of stealth mode consumer facing uh, financial services uh, product that we're building to launch here fairly shortly that's actually focusing now with the COVID-19 and economic kind of downturn was originally focusing on that and still will be kind of the getting people to help save better, create uh, their safety net, and actually just do their daily financial uh, lives a little better and cleaner on the consumer side. Um, you know, it's a lot different than what I started with uh, with for the last 10 years working kind of on the merchant services side and SMB. So
0: no, there'll definitely be a, yeah, definitely a lot more to come on that in the next few months. Next up, we have Laura Cummings. She's the director of the financial health network Welcome to the show, Laura. How are you?
2: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: And in D.C., I do believe, right? That's right. And I'm hoping much better weather than Omaha, by the way. But It's hell,
2: promised. Yeah, Not it's promised.
0: Yet. Yeah, there's no telling right now. Everything is upside down. It was snowing in half the country um, earlier this week. Uh, Laura, can you tell us just a little bit about who the Financial Health Network is?
2: Sure. So the Financial Health Network is a nonprofit and trusted resource for business leaders, policymakers, and innovators united in a mission to improve the financial health of their customers.
0: And um, what? no better place to be than in DC for that, although uh, your founder, Jen Tesher, is in Chicago, which also has the best hamburgers, by the way, everybody, in the world at the Small Cheval. Correct? Am I right, Adrian? You'll back me up on that.
1: Uh, we still have the best meat here in Nebraska, so all right. uh, it all starts off here.
0: Uh, controversy, I disagree. And we're also joined by Joanne Barrett. She's the co-founder and owner of Aroma's Boutique Bakery. Thanks for joining us, Joanne. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. We've, we've had you part of this report that we have put together and we'll be talking about a bit today. Can you give us a little bit on your background in the bakery that you you started this with your sister, right?
3: Yes. And my sister decided to do what she loves. She left grad school to become a chef. And soon after I joined her, I was in the event space for a long time. And we create custom cakes. We're award-winning designers, um, catering, corporate gifts, shipping all around the country.
0: And what part of New York are you based in?
3: We're in East Harlem.
0: Oh my God. My niece lives right around the corner from you. I stay with her all the time. I have been like Trolling all over your website, and I'm starving right now because it's the best looking cakes I've ever seen.
3: <laughs> I'm having mushroom bisque for lunch. Oh, so, uh,
0: hey, mushroom bisque and cakes—that sounds wonderful. Also, joining me from Eleven FS is our Jobs to Be Done guru, our principal customer and
4: product lead, Ryan Garner. How you doing, Ryan? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, even more hungry now after hearing about the cakes and the burgers. It's, it's, it's lunchtime in the UK, so I'm getting very, very peckish indeed. Uh, dude, I'm telling you, go look at the website. Oh, man,
0: I, I'm going to keep it away from my wife and Adrian from Shea, your wife, because otherwise we'll be having massive orders coming in. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the U.S. SMB research that we've done to give everybody a little bit of context on this. So Ryan, uh, you and your team have been digging deep into the banking options for U.S. SMBs, how and where they're managing their financial lives and where the massive opportunities for improvements are, and more importantly, the jobs to be done that make that happen. So first things first, for those that heard and talked about it before, can you remind our listeners what we mean when we say jobs to be done?
4: Yeah, sure. So jobs to be done is an approach we use at 11FS uh, to understand why customers and businesses choose one product or service over another. It's kind of as simple as that, really. And we start by working backwards. So we look at the outcomes most important to customers or businesses um, and figure out the obstacles that are getting in their way of reaching those outcomes. And I think this is particularly pertinent to the banking industry right now, um, as it kind of makes this shift from kind of offline analog products to kind of truly digital services. And, you know, you think about um, customers, uh, kind of be it regular individuals or even businesses they don't really care about the features you offer, but they do really care about the experiences you enable. And Jobs To Be Done helps us kind of unlock all of that stuff. And so you and your team, you followed this process when you were compiling the research. You were doing
0: the research pre-COVID, correct?
4: Yes, that's right. We did the research in uh, January, uh, February, moving into kind of start of March, um, and we did a mixture of interviewing um, kind of experts in the in, in the area. Um, so we actually the first person I spoke to um, when we started out this research was Adrian. Um, and uh, he gave me a, a really great start to kind of navigate in this space. And we spoke to lots of other people like Adrian who, who have a lot of experience in, in SMB banking. We also spoke to people like Joanne um, who run their own businesses and are managing the kind of financial sides of, of that business too. Um, and then we went and did a large scale um, uh, survey across the kind of SMB um, space in, in the US. I think we spoke to over a thousand um, small business owners um, uh, about their finances.
0: So can you go ahead and uh, give us a, a quick preview? What were some of the key findings? What, what surprised you coming out of this? Yeah, well,
4: I mean, we un- uncovered a, a lot of jobs to be done. And I think the surprising thing was how varied those jobs to be done are. And uh, when you think ask people about how they run their businesses from a financial perspective, you expect to hear things like, "Well, cash flow is really important, and we need to kind of manage our cash flow better." Um, but when um, people start thinking about um, how they might do their marketing better, or how they might set up the business, and, and things like that, and how the products and services should kind of should speak together, um, that kind of broadened out the set of jobs to be done that potentially are just kind of not even in the kind of purview of banks or service providers uh, servicing those smbs so the the sheer variety of jobs to be done i think was surprising to me and we probably don't have time to go through them all today but um the research report is live and uh, you can download that and and go and look at them all yourself to kind of see what i mean Uh, the link for that is um bit.com l y forward slash digital SMB. Uh, that's SMB all one word all lowercase so i've had the, the chance to go through the report
0: multiple times now um i'm incredibly proud of the team and incredibly proud of 11fs for putting something together like this um and when you when you take into account that this was pre-covid when i say pre-covid like weeks <laughs> I mean, literally weeks before we all decided we'd live the rest of our life on Zoom. Um, the timing timing is everything, and the I- impacts of this are everything. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to dig further into some of those findings of the research and discuss that with, with folks that are really impacted by this, hence the folks on this show. So let's talk a little bit about who the banks are competing with. In the U.S. Uh, SMB space, so it's not news that SMBs are historically and critically underserved by banks, despite being the biggest employer and lifeblood of the U.S. economy, and in fact, most economies across the world. In the U.S., there's not much different between businesses and personal bank accounts for the smallest SMBs, and I know I'm right because Joanne's not in her head. Only 51% of SMBs in the U.S. bank with a top five bank. So the top five banks in the U.S. We're talking about City, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, PNC. That means forty-nine percent of these SMB owners do not. So who are they turning to instead? So Joanne, we'll start with you because you are a business owner. Who do, do you bank with? a top five bank?
3: I it's one of the banks I do bank with Chase, and I also bank with a smaller bank. Um, it's just what we've done because we've had multiple businesses.
0: And that that actually. Yeah, I was going to say that actually makes sense, right? And we all have
3: multiple banking relationships. Absolutely, absolutely. We also work with Square because there's um, their loans that Square has offered so that we've used that them, the, them in the past.
0: That's a great answer. And that's actually I was going to go next. Are there other fintechs you use? And uh, you went to the Michael Jordan of fintechs right now, Square. Um, I'd say right up there with Stripe, especially when it comes to you know small businesses. I mean, my wife... My wife sells jewelry, as does Adrian's wife, Shay, But uh, she has a square reader and card reader and everything else. I mean, Ryan, is
4: that something you saw? Yeah, uh I- Joanne, we're delighted to have you on the on the podcast. Um, it's great. It's great to actually interview. Well, I didn't interview you initially. My colleague Vanessa did, but having listened to your interview and been part of that research process and, and hearing what you had to say, it's great to actually have you on a on a podcast. And I thought it was fascinating um, how you were kind of envisioning a a system for yourself. You were kind of thinking about, oh, I'd love it if we had this CRM system and a, a digital marketing system and my finance system all talking to each other and you were kind of getting a bit of that from from square and how square was kind of lending you money and then only asking for repayments when it could see revenue coming into your business and using intelligent flexible services like that i wonder if you could maybe elaborate on some of that because that conversation was was brilliant
3: Oh, absolutely! I've been dreaming of this for for a decade. A product that uh, speaks to everything together would save me time, because I'm already wearing a dozen hats. And Square does that. You know, we can do marketing, we can do we can do processing, um, payroll. All can happen under Square. And I think, in my I look at products regularly, and I get invited to look at products regularly, and they've come the closest. Um, the loan piece is something that although the um, the interest is high, I almost think that they deserve it <laughs> because of how they choose to allow us to pay it back. And it just, it, it works very well. And I don't foresee a time where I'll move away from that unless someone takes it on and does it better. I always prayed that Chase would do it, that they would come up with something because they're they provide very good service, but they're not necessarily you know, a small business bank. So
0: I I love that comment, Joanne. And I actually want to throw that to Adrian because Adrian and I have sat across from each other downing copious amounts of beer late at night, having this conversation of if you provide great services, customers are willing to pay for it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you know. If I go back to where you know I came from, helping small businesses at PayPal, you know, everywhere from the smallest e-commerce site that was growing off eBay to to large enterprise companies. I think that's early days. That's what PayPal was trying to do was uh, listen to their customers and try to build products to meet those experiences. Um, and I think that's where it, it struggles for large banks because it takes lots of people to listen to customers like Joanne and go to your offices. I, I've spent many times visiting small businesses and seeing the sticky notes and. And honestly, we're like, you do cake or you do food first. The financials is always secondary. Um, And I think Square is a great example of they built the products for a very niche market. And I think that's what large companies are going to struggle with. And that you see in large banking is it's not their most profitable segment, but it's the segment that needs them the most. But, you know, where do they draw the line? So I know with PayPal, there's 5,000 people that are just sitting in offices around the world trying to service small businesses, you know, when will other companies kind of create that support system to do that as well? And I think that's the struggle with financial services is how can you help more people without adding that cost so you can offer the lowest cost to your product. Um, And that's, that's what people struggle with. So Laura, one
0: of the things I love about the financial health network and I do not mind being a cheerleader for this organization one bit, I've been a cheerleader for um, for Jen and what y'all have been doing for years now. But one of the things you all do so good is research. I mean, this is part of your Ballywick and what you do. And when it comes to SMBs, um, would you agree with this? Do you think that they're underserved in the U.S. market?
2: Well, thank you, Sam, for the endorsement of Financial Health Network. But um, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of structural challenges. So the U.S. is a huge market. Um, And then we look at the number of small businesses in the U S and we say, Oh, over 30 million. Like that's a great market. Let's, let's go serve that market. But when you dig just a little bit deeper, the diversity amongst those small businesses and being able to build products and services that really um, reflect the needs of small businesses is very difficult. It's, it's hard to scale. Um, So if we think about the needs of like an, Eighty-person public relations firm, a professional services firm versus a convenience store or a corner store. Their financial services needs are very different, and so it's v- it's just hard to build products that are um, going to be profitable um, and really meet the needs of those individual small businesses.
0: So, Ryan, when you were doing the research and you were taking a look at the U.S., obviously we've named Square right now. We actually we named Chase. Um, and PayPal came out there. Ryan, who else? What other names popped up that were that were servicing this market?
4: Yeah, you got all the kind of um, names you'd expect in the kind of uh, in the big bank world, in the community bank world, um, and and they were all the obvious ones. Um, but then uh, there's a, about 140 plus fintechs in the US serving the SMB market right now. That's a huge amount of services and. Uh, they're all kind of targeting slightly different areas um, and doing specialized things. But then you've got these kind of bigger platforms. um, So the PayPal's, the Squares, the QuickBooks, the Stripes, the Shopify's that are creating these kind of end-to-end journeys for customers where they go from um, invoicing um, uh, in, in, invoicing their clients to kind of lending for cash flow management um, through to accounting and reconciliation um, or taking payments on a website and open putting that straight into a, a kind of digital bank account. There's a whole load of really interesting kind of experiences that have been created by some of these business platforms. And not only that, they all link to each other as well. So you can integrate... Um, uh, kind of square with QuickBooks, for example, PayPal built its business integrating into lots of different areas of the ecosystem. And so what we're seeing is truly digital services um, satisfying a lot of different areas um, that come with the complexities and diversity of running a small business in really, really interesting ways. And what that means for banks is that they're not just competing against each other anymore they're competing against a whole raft of new digital services um, that are interesting for people like Joanne and all the other different small business owners that we spoke to
0: so there's a, a good we have good friends at Cabbage so the the online lender that's focused a lot in this space and um, Rob their founder told me one time I said can you summarize what cabbage does and he goes "Yeah we let bakers bake." And I love that comment. I'm looking right at you, Joanne. I love that comment. You said that's one of the things you loved about squares. You can go into one place, right. To do everything.
3: I appreciate that. And that comment is really perfect because there's so much that you do as a business owner. I'm the tech guy. I'm the baker. I'm the cleaner. It looks, you know, I was just doing this interview and it's like I got to wear lipstick, but usually I'm covered in in sugar and I and I have sticky stuff on my fingers and shoes. That's, that's my life. Um, but they allow me to focus on the work when everything is working together behind the scenes, so to speak.
0: So Adrian, I'm curious from your standpoint because you have been on multiple sides of this right? You, you spent a good decade at PayPal, you worked for F, with F Um, you know you, you have a wife who's a small business owner um, also so what's missing? What, what are some of the gaps in your opinion?
1: Yeah, no I, it's funny you mentioned that. so um, now that we're working from home a little more, my wife you know stays up five hours a night after work. Um, to help build her jewelry business, and um, I, our conversation yesterday was, how do I get my email account to work with my uh, new Etsy account with my other thing? And I'm sitting there thinking, we literally do this every day. My wife works in fintech, and she can't figure that out. But more importantly, it took her four hours to figure out how to get her email just to work. Right when she would rather be building jewelry in the basement. And I think that's that's the problem I always saw in my old job, which is. Um, to your point, Joanne, you know you can find a great company like Square that can help you do everything, but honestly, it's not everything. It's the best it can be for you as a business. Like you said, it's a high interest loan, right? Square to make Square able to do it, they have to to charge more more than a traditional bank would. So, so I think it's how do we help all of these best components of SMB banking for somebody like Joanne to actually be able to be profitable and have all of the best. Um, tools to her disposal is the struggle because they're all competing against each other versus trying to work together they're all competing right chase is is competing against square yet you need square and chase to work really well together so you can have cash flow
0: yeah i mean just a kind of level set for everybody uh, as part of the research that ryan and his team did 39 percent of smbs in the us are using paypal to help them manage their finances you go, PayPal. Sixty-seven percent of SMBs use one of the top six business platforms. So this includes QuickBooks, Cabbage, Shopify, PayPal, Stripe, and Square. So I don't think any of us are really surprised by those names. I'm sure those names came up constantly over and over again when we were doing our research. So I think one of the things we want to do in the next segment that we hit on is talk a little bit about um, you know the impact of COVID-19 and what do we think is next after that. But first. We actually got to take a break and hear from this week's sponsor. This episode of FinTech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. Combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing fraud, risk, and cost. Discover more at MyTechSystems.com. This episode is also brought to you by Equinix. Equinix is the world's largest data center and co-location provider enabling fastest application performance, lowest latency, and a digital ecosystem for financial services. This platform of over 200 data centers worldwide protects, connects, and empowers the mission-critical infrastructure for over 10,000 businesses. Find out more at Equinix.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk about business in a post-pandemic world. Of course, we have to mention it. COVID-19 has changed almost everything especially for small businesses and medium-sized businesses in the U.S. We did a whole show on the immediate impact of COVID-19 on SMB finance and access to capital, if you missed it. Check out episode 422 of FinTech Insider. So looking at the more long-term fallout of the pandemic in particular, what will the new normal be like? God, I'm so tired of that phrase, but it's true. What will normalcy look like? So one, you know, we're talking about truly digital products and services I think will be more essential than ever before, and in the short term, SMB cash flow is also the most immediate problem to solve. And Laura, I'm sure that constantly comes up. We've talked about PPP ad nauseum now, and the the needs of SMBs when it comes to cash flow. I'm sure you're seeing that like crazy.
2: Sure. So cash flow is always going to be the the buzzword that comes up when you talk to small businesses. But um, I think we've even touched on already how cash flow can mean different things to different companies. And really what they're asking for is to make that more in the background, to provide products and services or really an easy way to know what they need to know and then get back to their day job. Um, So I'm really excited about um, businesses or um, fintechs who have created more proactive tools to to model out what small business cash flow is going to look like, to to help small businesses understand what their cash flow needs are, um, and to let them spend less time doing the financial management and um, balancing the checkbook activities um, that take up too much time for small business owners.
0: I was going to say, I know one of the things I heard of a ton, Laura. I'm curious if you've heard this too around PPP. One of the biggest blockers for that was just the sheer amount of information you need to know about how to apply what paperwork you needed and everything else because again if if you're making cakes you want to make cakes applying for a loan in the midst of a pandemic is a royal pain in the in the rear
2: yeah um, I heard a lot of great things about uh, gusto one of our members who provides payroll services and they um, proactively, created PPP reports so that when small businesses logged in, there was their PPP report showing what their payroll had been, um, giving them those numbers that they were going to need to plug into a PPP application. Um, So that kind of proactive analytics, like just putting those numbers right in front of the small business owner, that's what they need out of their um, service providers.
0: So Joanne, um, coming back to you as a business owner in New York, in Harlem, so let's just go right to the epicenter of the pandemic outbreak in the U.S. What's What's this, How has the pandemic impacted you?
3: Um, I had to really change my business, but I was, you know, paying attention in January and February. I read a lot, and I was. I said, "We've got to pivot um, quickly, and we've got to be smart. So, what do we offer now that we can offer our customers? What will make a difference for them now?" We had 100% cancellation. I thought like a hundred percent, like all weddings, all events canceled in March and April, I said, people will still celebrate and they are celebrating. It's just a lot smaller. So I had to adjust.
0: You know, I was going to say one of the, I think one of the most creative areas um, that I've seen in dealing with the pandemic is the the restaurant and event space. I mean, they have you have to be to survive.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And me and my partner, my sister knew we were coming out of this, but I've watched my colleagues, they're serving hospitals, they're serving um, people in need, and uh, companies are making donations so that they can afford to do that. And that's what's keeping them open.
0: Adrian, I was going to say, um, I think you would agree with me, um, how a company at any scale, at any size, responds to this to the situation they're in, and their focus on servicing their customers is everything, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I was actually just watching a, a, a news special yesterday and I just happened to be somebody that I've worked with in the past and she runs a, a nutrition business out of a, a small shop where she does 80% pre-COVID, 80% of her business was online, 20% was in person. And in the pre-COVID world, she was like, I need a physical storefront to connect with my customers, to talk to my customers. That's the bread and butter of my business. And this event made her think, do I really need that? So I think to your point, Joanne, there's going to be a lot of businesses out there rethinking what it means to be with their customers, what it means to their business plan. So she's actually decided to completely shut down her store and go 100% digital. And I think she's almost feeling like I can connect to my customer. She's actually forced herself to find new ways. And I think you'll see that a lot coming out. So when we look at the reports and we see shops shutting down, I think we're also going to have to look at the reports that show companies like joanne how did you pivot how did you change your business model and are actually growing so we have to be very careful about what those numbers mean and really support the companies that are pivoting because she was right she was like i can connect my customers in new ways that i never thought were going to be as valuable and actually will be better for me but i needed something to push me over that edge this was just not probably the thing that it should have been it should have been hopefully something else um but yeah i think and this has happened you know history shows whether it's 20, 20, uh, 2008 or now, I think uh, good smart people like Joanne and running their small companies will pivot and 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 look for the bright side of this.
0: So Ryan, I'm curious, when you were doing your research, you know what were some of the key jobs to be done, and, and we and you might want to explain what, a little bit deeper what we mean by that. But what some I know you probably found knowing you about fifty, and I'm sure you narrowed that list way down. But what were some of the key jobs to be done for you as small businesses in terms of managing their finances?
4: yeah I think well firstly being a a researcher in in a time like this is absolutely fascinating the pandemic sucks um but when you're a researcher observing like how businesses react to it um it's fascinating and and and, and really kind of motivating and inspiring to kind of hear how um businesses have, have adapted to it I think when it comes to the, the the jobs to be done um and really when you try to understand customer behavior, context is everything. And COVID-19 has just changed everyone's context. And so everyone's behavior has changed. Now, for some of the jobs to be done, um, all that has done has made them like way, way more important. You know, you kind of zoom in right in on them. For small businesses, um, obviously kind of, getting through periods of low or no revenue and, and serious cash flow problems are, are, are really important. Um, I think what uh, Laura was saying a moment ago when she was looking out for companies that responded quickly with tools and things, we were looking out for that too. And um, I think within a couple of weeks of, 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 of the economy kind of shutting down, um, and people staying at home. Uh, you had uh, Shopify come up with a cash flow calculator, tapping right into that kind of uh, job to be done for small businesses to, to, to really effectively manage their cash flow. Um, I think what we'll see is that in this kind of short-term first one or two phases of the pandemic, um, small business owners will be focused almost primarily on a handful of like really critical jobs to be done just to get them through the pandemic and some of the other things that would have been more interesting to them before the pandemic would just be put to one side for a while the interesting thing is as we observe what happens throughout these different stages of the pandemic and as we come out of the recession into recovery into kind of reinvention phases um how have those jobs to be done morphed and changed Um, um, and where are the opportunities? What do the services look like uh, that will really help uh, companies in, in in this kind of new normal that we're that we keep talking about?
0: So, Laura, you had mentioned um, Gusto, right? I got that that term right. Um, yeah, I think it's. And Ryan, I agree with you. I think um, companies that uh, look to pivot or, or to deploy—I think that's a better word—to deploy and ship uh, solutions. Um, really stepped into a um, to the forefront right and, I, and I'll give some credit um, you know to the big banks I mean Adrian you and I have, have worked for incredibly large global enterprise companies I mean Bank of America spun their um, loan app on both mobile and web in eight days so yeah so Adrian and I are incredibly impressed by that because we couldn't get a damn meeting back in the day um, in eight days let alone get code deployed and shipped you know so I mean do you actually, Uh, I'm going to throw this as a curveball for Adrian. Do you think that idea of being able to move that fast becomes, I'm not going to say the new normal for large companies, but maybe something they'll look to adopt a little bit more, be be able to deploy that fast?
1: I think what it's going to do is what I've heard when I've talked to uh, some people in big banks and, and banks that I'm close with is there was always this, we can't do that, so let's not try. We can't have a large workforce work from home. We can't have digital technology be a, a competitive advantage and there's nothing like a pandemic to force you to understand if you really can or can't do something right and i think now banks are going to leave this or financial large financial companies going to leave this saying, we actually can do that or we found a group of people in the institution that can spin things quickly and efficiently and so you're no longer going to have those artificial roadblocks so it'll be interesting as we come out of this what banks were going to say, you know what, we can do this. Um, let's keep trying it. Let's have that muscle and keep growing it. And I think, Laura, you'll see, you know, your banks coming to you saying, hey, we know we can spend a P2P loan program all digital, basically in 72 hours. Imagine what if we have like a month to actually do it the right way? How can we take that same thing we've learned and apply it to other loans? Um you know, Joanne, I think you see the square, uh, you know, way you do loan payback based on your revenue, right? You know, I know companies have been working on that for a long time. Maybe now it's going to be, wow, that's something we can actually build at scale, and therefore give you better rate because they know how to do it because they've they forced themselves to do it. I think that's what you'll see. You'll see this, this digital revolution actually happen in the companies that want to embrace it. And the ones that don't want to embrace it, I guess we'll see what happens to them. Yeah, I'm curious,
0: Laura, for you and the Financial Health Network, I would think that uh, your phone's ringing a hell of a lot more right now, um, and what I mean by that is is coming to you for for guidance and advice and and some of the research that you've seen.
2: Exactly, and a lot of um, institutions saying, "Where should I direct my customers or small businesses?" You know, it's time for us to all really map out where the resources are. Where should I be going? um, to, to get help with housing or where do I talk to someone about options to delay rent? All of that has to be built, you know, overnight, um, because everyone's asking how do, how do I direct people to the right resources? And that is something we're especially strong at is looking at our network and making sure our network is made up of a diversity of providers, um, who are all tackling these different issues.
0: Yeah, I was going to, I'm going to give a shout out to um, an accelerator in Oklahoma City of all places called Stitch Crew that, you know, this stuff doesn't have to be incredibly elegant. They created an air table. So basically an online spreadsheet and just started putting links to resources out every single one they could find on PPP loans, on, on bankruptcy laws, on unemployment. And this little accelerator, you know, that thing went viral and went all over the place and kept adding to it. It was, it's, uh, it's amazing what, uh, a little bit of ingenuity and, and sweat can do in times like this. Um, I, I need to move on, um, and I want to talk a little bit about you know beyond jobs to be done. So um, every small business is different. Literally, every small business is different. There's no blueprint on how to run a successful business um, or what a business should look like or operate. I don't care if you own a franchise. They're all different. I mean, that's that's reality. So research shows that finding a good cultural fit for your business model, telling your business story and getting customers engaged engage with it is just as important. And as somebody who calls himself a storyteller, um, this is what I like to do. I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's one of the underlying skill sets you have to have in a digital age is ability to actually tell your story. So, Ryan, w- once you, you have your jobs to be done down, what
4: comes next? Yeah, so jobs to be done are really, really important. Um, They help us identify a a great opportunity space to build uh, and design uh, digital services around uh, that really, really provide new value for customers. But you can't just focus on the jobs to be done alone. Um, you have to think about what is the story to be told. And to do this, we need to tap into the zeitgeist. So the mood of the time, almost. And the mood of the time at the minute is, is, is fascinating uh, for the reasons we just spoke about. Um, and when you tap into the zeitgeist, you can also figure out the kind of um the deep cultural trends shaping customers and businesses behaviors uh we talked about how when context changes with things like a pandemic uh then behavior changes and um and and by understanding these deep cultural trends we can start to figure out how we um position the service that we've that we've designed and really truly tell that story one of my colleagues vanessa who interviewed um Joanne first time round always says if your product never came to launch what progress would society and culture have missed out on and whatever that is that is your story to be told and how 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 do you tell that to the world um, and so um, in the report that we wrote we kind of worked through quite a few different examples um and you can download the report and, and kind of read them in in full um but one of the clear uh, things that's coming out of kind of the pandemic that we're experiencing right now is this trend towards the kind of age of care we're seeing everyone kind of fall back and rely on local communities and families at the at the micro level. We've got uh, banks and um, fintechs helping customers with cash flow issues and distributing government kind of aid packages and fund packages. And, and even before the kind of the, the pandemic, we had uh, trends around um, kind of mental health and digital wellness and the environment, but. What about financial health? And, and obviously Laura knows a lot about this right now, but this is just going to be right on trend now. So how do you help SMBs and their employees get through this, this, this pandemic? Um, these are really, really important questions that will kind of spurn really huge opportunities to um, not just kind of design new digital services, but to help kind of explain them to the world. Yeah, I'm curious, Joanne, because you've been through this with, with Ryan and his
0: team. The, this concept of telling your story, what, what was that like to sit down and have somebody, uh, in this case from London, get on, I'm guessing, Zoom or something like that, but for you to be able to walk through and tell the story? Were you actually surprised by anything that, that you were told to the folks?
3: No, not surprised. We've always been very customer-focused and knew that we were, that customers buy into us. So when we started looking at what's next, we really looked at, you know what, how do we take care of them? at this time, the mom who's, the child who's just had her graduation and prom canceled and won't have an 18th birthday party. And all she wants is a cactus shaped cake. Well, I'm making the the best damn cactus I could make. And I did that yesterday and she's very pleased. Um, but it's really important to look at what they're dealing with. And I, my friends who do, I have colleagues who do the give me your money since so I just expect people to buy stuff. These guys, look, we have to take care of our customer and consider what they're dealing with as we market ourselves online. You know, um, we have to, that's a must.
4: What's really interesting about Joanne's point is that, Joanne's just not baking cakes. She's helping her customers celebrate the moments in their life that really matter the most to them. And that's her story to be told. The fact that she bakes cakes and delivers that as a service is is just a matter of like how she um, fulfills that promise. Um, and, and, And that's the difference between the kind of job to be done that Joanne's business helps her customers with and the story to be told that she has.
0: Yeah, it's an excellent use case. I can already see the slide, Ryan. So we should update our slide from that lawnmower to the damn cakes that they make, because I'm telling you, they look so damn good. Um, Laura, I'm curious, because Ryan said something that stuck out to me. You talked about the financial health of SMBs. And I mean, this has been at the core for the Financial Health Network for well over a decade, right, is the financial health of consumers, but also SMBs. And I mean, would you agree with Ryan that this is something that we think it's going to see get to see a hell of a lot more focus.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I think specifically resiliency. So I already saw this trend coming over the past couple of years with the increase in natural disasters in the US. There was already a concern of what happens to small businesses when they have to physically shut down because of a flood or um, wildfires or any number of issues, right? Um, so the pandemic just made that happen nationwide very quickly. Um, and I think providers and small businesses themselves are going to be asking, you know, how do I make sure I'm more resilient? What do, what do I need to be doing? And so they'll be asking, you know, tell me, um, how do I make sure that I'm more resilient? Is it is it a matter of savings or is it a matter of insurance or is it a matter of business model and relationships with customers? But those are the questions that everyone's going to be asking.
0: So, Adrian, you're my product guy, right? You're my good tech product guy in this group. So with what Laura just said, and we talked about the storytelling and the focus and the financial health, um, when you're trying to address this from a digital standpoint and from a product standpoint, uh, that seems incredibly daunting, to be honest.
1: I, yeah. I mean, I think you've seen some companies been trying to do this for a while. You know, Joanne uses Square, right? Why is Square uh, a predominant product she's using? Because they found out how to scale this microcosm to, to everybody, right? This digital thing, it's not located, it, you know, there's no building that Square is going to break down. It's on the internet, right? So it, it it's it's resilient and she can use it even if it goes down as long as there's internet. And I think that's what you'll see a lot of people building products that says, Oh, your, your business catch your physical business got shut down for some reason. Here's a tool to expand that product out there, right? You know, you can still sell cakes because someone can come to a website and make an order or they can call you and you can kind of probably email them a design to get approval where in the past and the past is months ago, maybe it was, you have to come in and look through a photo book and look at a picture Then I'll, you know, I'll make a cake that looks like that. So you'll see companies start helping small businesses expose their business easier in the non physical world and that's where you'll see a pivot right um i think from a product standpoint you're going to start closing those gaps you know i'm in the midwest we've had either a flood fires um i can't i can't even count all the natural disasters but i'm seeing how companies are having to respond to that quickly because it's happening every year now it's 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 predetermined your farm is going to go underwater how do you make your farming business a little bit more resilient to do that and i think that's what you'll see um And, you know, I think that's what the new world is, right? And it's just, it's getting smaller, you know, to a point we're all on a call right now from like five different places all around the country and the world in this case, that probably didn't happen six months ago, let alone, you know, six years ago. And I think how do we, you know, all adjust to this smaller world? Yeah,
0: I I would say that for everybody who's listening to this, um, I think we can all agree we cannot wait until we don't have to be on Zoom calls 24-7. This has been my sixth one today and believe it or not we've run out of time on my sixth one today so um ryan uh seeing that we're having to wrap this up i want to thank you for joining me from london Um, where's the best place to find
4: out about you and the research that we just did sure to find out more about me uh, you can contact me on twitter at ryan garner or on linkedin Um, and more about the research um, you can download it from the 11fs website Um, there is also a short bit.ly link uh, which is bit.ly forward slash digital smb all right
0: and for those folks that want to know where this tiki bar is underground in Omaha, adrian where's the best place for folks to engage with you
1: uh, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Right now, we're in stealth mode, and hopefully, able to come out to consumers fairly shortly. Um, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn
0: and at the Tiki Bar and at the Tiki Bar, Underground. We're back up with Sam only Long. four of us.
1: That right now, I'm like, you <laughs> only have four
0: people in a room together. So, well, I I would like to be part of that group. Laura, how about you? Best place to learn about the Financial Health Network?
2: Sure, at our website, Finn Health Network. Dot org, and we've had to pivot our annual conference so that it's online. So that's emerge live. Um, but now it's open to everyone and free. So we'll have that the week of June 22nd.
0: All right. And Joanne, this is your chance to do a shout out to a global audience for the best damn cakes coming out of East Harlem. Where's the best place to learn more?
3: Um, visit us at aromasboutiquebakery.com and at aromasbakery on Instagram. You can get vegan, traditional keto, and sugar-free cakes right there.
0: Excellent. And uh, in my case, load it up with all the damn sugar and flour and eggs that you want. I'm uh, My COVID body is rocking, everybody. Um, as for me, you can find me at Sam Mall on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I'm hosting a daily breakfast show to get us through the lockdown. So come and join the conversation. That's at 1030 a.m. Eastern Monday through Friday. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. Please make it a five-star review. Speaking of which, if you know someone who loves FinTech, who isn't listening to FinTech Insider, pass the pod along and tell them to come on the show. If you have any suggestions or feedback, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time.